Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series, Joy uh, in the Journey. And uh, we're talking about the joy that comes from uh, following Christ. Uh, specifically, you may have woken up and you may not have felt joy. You may not have felt much energy. Um, even the thought of possibly going to church, maybe not like the highest on your list. And so the joy that we're talking about in this series is not a feeling that we have, uh, like something that we just kind of hold on to, but it's really this state of completeness and wholeness of understanding that there is a God that calls us forward, and he actually has a purpose for each one of us. And there's a universal purpose, and that is to, to follow him in his ways, but he's also gifted us uniquely, given us a specific design, each of us, and so there's a specific purpose as well. And so in this series, we're talking about this as individuals and uh, as a church, and we're digging through the book of First Peter. And uh, if you have your scripture journal, I encourage you to keep uh, taking notes in this, keep reading this on your own. We're really going uh, chapter by chapter through this whole book uh, to unpack this journey that, that God has called us to. Uh, we started the series talking about the mission that God has given us as a church to invite people to experience refreshing life in Christ. And each one of these weeks following that mission, we're talking about the refreshment that comes in uh, specific ways. And last week, we talked about refreshing hope and the hope that's found in the new life when you decide to follow Jesus. And last week, I asked you to uh, make a list of people that you could have an opportunity to share this hope with. And uh, last week, we had our prayer team and different people on the staff and myself personally like pray for each one of those people that was listed. And the question is, what if we saw God do a work in our church for these people that we're praying for that they would decide to follow Jesus for the first time? And they would join us on the journey that, that God's given. And I'm happy to report just through prayers and through the work that he's doing, last week, five people decided to commit their lives to Christ for the first time. Let's praise God for that. And then I talked about the celebration that happens in heaven. That was like 1% of the celebration that's experienced in heaven. But we do so knowing that that is the greatest decision that we can make. It's not only to commit our lives to Christ, but to live life fully for him. And so today we're talking about the refreshing community uh, that God calls us to. We've talked about the life. We've talked about the hope. And now this is an idea to, like, what's the purpose for which we're made? And we're actually made for so much more then we tend to think uh, in ourselves. Uh, we're made for so much more than even the world tells us or the culture tells us. Our parents may have told us, our history and all those things in our life. Uh, we're made for, for something far greater. And it begins with this idea of like, we're, we're not meant to be alone. Uh, we're meant to commit to the living God. And as soon as we commit to him and to follow him, we're, we're not alone. He's with us, he guides us. And then what he does is he actually invites us to experience this new life and this new hope with a group of people. And that's called the church. And the church is where this adventure is lived out. We do so on our own, but we do that in the context as well as being connected to this, this local body. So today I want to talk about this calling that we have. Calling is a purpose, a destiny, if you will, to use like a dramatic Hollywood term. But the destiny that we have in Christ is actually rooted in a higher calling. And so that's where I want to start today. We're still dealing with 1 Peter. We're in chapter 1. We're going to be moving uh, to chapter 2. But let's start with that point of this purpose that he's made us for is in Christ. We have a higher uh, calling. And I want to start with reading uh, verse 13 
of chapter one, which we actually ended on last week. And so it's kind of this connection of the new hope we have to now this, this new purpose, this higher calling. Is my mic messing up? Are you guys hearing that? Are we good? Do you want me to keep going? Just give me a thumbs up. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Uh, verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds in for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, we ended that uh, last week. That's where we, we, we ended, and now we start that today. Verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, the scriptures here paint a picture of people that live in former ignorance. Now, that's usually not the thing that we want to kind of wake up with the news, that we've lived in ignorance, that we are ignorant, that there's something in our lives that we don't know. But for all who are not followers of Christ, there's a darkness that you live under. And that is that you don't know the living God. You don't know his living word. You don't have his living spirit inside of you. And so there's an ignorance that you have where you don't quite understand you don't quite see, you're not having the full experience of life. Now, that is a message that can feel very personal. Well, what do you mean I'm in, I'm in ignorance? Well, that's the idea of what the scriptures say is, is the cross is actually foolishness for all who don't believe. But for those who do, it's the power of God. And so you see this, this power versus foolishness, and it's Peter speaking of this, this ignorance. And that is the, the pull all of us have to do life by ourselves on our own terms, thinking we know better. That's actually something that's in us, uh, really in a struggle for the rest of our lives, even if we decide to follow Jesus. Every day we have a choice, like, who am I going to live for? Who will I listen to? Who will I follow? Who will I surrender to? Who, who will I call on to help? Is it my inner strength? Is it somebody else that I'm relying on? Or do I call on the power of the living God? And that former ignorance, when you decide to follow Christ, you're now in the light, and we're commanded to, to walk in it. But Peter is reminding the Christ followers that that former ignorance doesn't define you anymore. You don't live as people who live for yourself. You have this, this greater purpose. And then he goes a step further and describes this former ignorance as, as being a, a passion. Now, this isn't the passion like you need to be passionate about something, which is like have a purpose, but it's really this passion where you just chase your feelings. Now, have you ever chased your feelings in your own life when you've done something that you regret just because you felt like doing it? Anyone ever eaten at a buffet before? Like, right? That's like the passion of food. But there's many things that we do that are driven by a passion. And the world, because it's in ignorance and it's because it's in darkness, continues to present, if you will, like a platter of passions that it wants people to choose from. And some of those passions are success. And there's a passion to succeed and to appear successful. And we chase after it and we chase after it and we chase after it. And in fact, at the end of our life, if all we're doing is chasing success, we actually are worn out and we, we come up empty. Because that passion, what Peter describes, is based in former ignorance. It's based in the darkness. And with that passion is a passion of money, uh, to have more, have more money so you can buy more stuff. And with that comes maybe more status. And sometimes even a feeling of something that feels good. When you have something new, it, it feels good. And that's not a bad thing to buy new things. But if your passion is money and to continue to get more of it, it's the same with success. You can obtain, obtain, attain, and by the end of your life, you could have just loads and loads of money and still feel empty. Beauty, sex, a feeling, all these things 
are rooted in this passion that, that makes sense to us. Now, the pull of these things are real. What Peter is saying is this form of ignorance and the passion is not something that's like uh, just you know, daydreamed about or it's not real. It, it's real and it pulls us. And so Peter is actually giving a warning. If you're given a higher calling, you always have to be on your toes, relying on God moment by moment every day because there's always this pull back to the darkness to please ourselves on our own terms. And there's always a pull to pursue the passions that don't please God. Now, all of us, I think, could agree with that. Even if we don't talk about this openly with people, we know that there's a pull in us where we just kind of want to do things our own way. And so what Peter is reminding all of us is if you're a Christ follower, if you've escaped the darkness, you're now in the light, you have the revealed word of God to help you, you are actually supposed to be holy. And that's what the scriptures say. You also be holy. What's the basis of it? The God who called you. The God who called you, who made you, who's designed you and created you, he is holy. And so the former ignorance life the passion life, absent of God in his way, that's really thrown away when you decide to follow Jesus. Doesn't mean that pool's not there, but it means that you, you don't want to be defined there anymore. There's no fulfillment there. There's no life there. It's dead. But instead, to, to be holy. And for us, to be a holy people. Now, holiness isn't a word that we use a lot. Have you used that word in the last week? Probably not. It's not a word that we, we use in our culture, but but really, holiness in Scripture is this thought of God's people who are set apart. They have a different value system. They have a different standard. And in fact, they live a different life. And back to what Peter talked about in the beginning, he's writing to who? The elect exiles, those that God has chosen from the beginning of time, who are not of this world completely. They're different. It's actually speaking not just to the fact that they were scattered in the first century in those regions that we've talked about, but that they actually have this different purpose. Uh, they're defined differently. They're dedicated uh, to God. And so the idea of, of holiness is there's something that needs to be reflected in our calling, which actually represents the things of heaven. It shouldn't feel exactly like the things of this world. The words spoken shouldn't just reflect what we see in the culture and in movies and in songs. There should be something different. The way that we relate, the way that we talk, the way that we think, our attitudes. There's something that needs to be a separate from that which we experience on a daily basis. And the reason of this is, again, the God who's called us. But it's even deeper than that. Uh, Peter goes on in 17 and 21, and he describes the love that the God has for us and what he's done on our behalf. The reason we can be holy, again, it's because God himself is holy and because of what he's done. And you can read 17 and 21 on your own. Then in 19 through 21, he also describes that we have Christ who's been with us from the beginning, who saved us. What has he saved us from? Our former ignorance. What has he saved us from? The endless pursuit of just chasing passion. Because of what God has done from the beginning of time and what Christ has done on our behalf to die for our sin and save us, we can live a different life. And as we talked about last week and the week before, we have a Holy Spirit as well who guides us. And so Peter is always kind of banking on this, this reminder of this Godhead, the three in one, God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three have worked on our behalf since the beginning of time to call us as people to himself. And then Peter actually goes on and he gives like this further. So we have God the Father, Christ the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, and then he speaks of 
the word which was given, the revealed word of God, which guides us forward. And so we can be holy because we have God, three in one, working on our behalf, and we have his word, which is revealed. Now, have you ever heard like God's revealed word? You've heard that phrase before, anyone? Okay. Okay. So God's revealed. So the idea of revealed, if something is not revealed, what, it, what is it? Well, you can't see it. It's, it's not revealed. And so the idea of God's word, sometimes we take it for granted. But if God had not revealed it to us, we would not be standing here with the, really the realization of the saving grace that we have in Christ because we, we didn't know it. It's revealed to us. That darkness is now blown away by the light of the revelation of God's word. We know who God is from what is being revealed. And so that the precious word of God actually shows us who we are and what we're to do. And so this is that picture of holiness. And then verse 23, and I want to pick up here. It says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and what? Abiding word of God. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains. What does that word say? Forever. And this world, and this word, sorry, is the good news that was preached to you. Well, what kind of a word is it? It's good news. And it's a word that will remain forever. The salvation that we have is secure. That's what Peter's talking about. You've been born again, that living hope, which we talked about last week, of perishable seed? No, unperishable. There, there, it can't fade. Now, I don't know about you if, if you've ever tried, uh, you know, gardening and uh, yard work, but I am of the, the camp that I just continue to use seed that perishes and perishes and perishes. I'm a yard killer. Anyone relate to that? So if you want yard work, don't ask me probably. But there's a patch on my yard that's been there since we even moved in on the, my front yard on the left side that's like dead. And I've tried to reseed it and I've tried to kind of redo that and clean it up. And every time grass like grows up and then it dies and it grows up and then it dies. So there's just this like sad bare patch that I look at every day as I leave my house. And it reminds me, all the work that we do, whether we can see it or not, in the end, will fade. It will be just like that bare patch. There's nothing to show for it. Anything we do with our own hands, except which is connected to the living word of God, living out the truth, investing in people, working on our salvation. These are the things that actually go on forever. And so Peter says, like, we we don't have to be like we used to be, slaves to sin. He mentions that in verse 14. But we've been freed. We have God. We have the Christ the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, we have, we have his word. And that phrase, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Well, why is it good news? Well, back to what Peter started with. We have a higher calling. We can escape the darkness. We don't have to just live our life based on lies. We don't have to chase our passions. We're made for something more. So the question is, well, what? is the higher calling. Besides being saved and receiving salvation, what does that mean? Sometimes as Christians, we can be so focused on the front end, like I'm saved, I've decided to follow Christ. But that's really the beginning of the life that he's given. The life that you begin is 
in Christ here once you've been saved, but it actually goes on into eternity. But there's a work that starts here and now. It gives meaning to life. It's not something that we have to wait until we die or Jesus returns for us to experience this. No, there's a purpose for which we're made, and that's what I want to talk about the rest of the time. It's this. In Christ, we can build a distinctive, life-changing community. And Peter goes on in verse 22. Check this out. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth against the focus on God's word for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So if you will, think about the ignorance of darkness, not knowing the truth. When you don't know the truth and you're in darkness, for the most part, you just live for yourself. That's what you see in the world. You think that your breath is to give life to you and for you to live for yourself. That's like the ends of your life. That's the focus, what, what you, you know, really just try to put everything towards, the energy. But what Peter is saying is once you've escaped that and you have the Holy Spirit guiding you and his word that's revealed, you find out that there's so much more. And then Peter describes it. Well, what is it? Is that you're, you're not alone. And he shifts from this reality of who we are in Christ to then what we can do with that reality. And notice it's others-focused. The Christian life is always others-focused. Now, we, we clean up ourselves. Nobody can clean us up except Christ. And in fact, God does this work in us that only he can do. But the, the work is always done through us on really behalf of other people. That's the beauty of the Christian life. We're not meant to live alone. And because of that, we can be others-focused. And as we're others focused, the world says you're going to be ripped off. You're not going to be taken care of. You're not going to have energy. No one's looking out for you. But in the light of the revealed word of God, we know that when the scriptures say that we should love each other, we know that God will bring that back fully on us. And that's where the church comes in. So I just want to pay attention to a few of these words. First, it says that the obedience to the truth comes with this sincere brotherly love. Now, the brotherly love isn't just talking about, like, from one guy to the other. It's talking really about this family. And it's the reminder, when you decide to follow Christ, you're not just following him, and it's just you and him. You're following him, and you've entered a new family. It's a spiritual family that's not connected by blood. But in fact, it is. It's connected by the blood of Christ that washes over us all. So there's something in us like, well, blood is thicker than water. Like blood, the family. Well, actually, think about the most powerful blood in the world. It's the blood of Jesus. And the church is linked and rooted together and covered by that blood. And that's what makes us this family. We're a new family. And then it says that this love is sincere, uh, not just lip service, not, not faking it, but it's a sincere love. That's, again, not rooted in our own performance, but it's rooted in the fact that we have the righteousness of Christ. I don't know about some of your struggles, but I know some of my struggles is like sometimes you, you can be so concerned with what people think. You can uh, compare. You can people please. All of these things which can like really mess up relationships. You want people to do things on your own terms. Maybe we struggle with controlling them. Maybe we struggle with being passive. Like all of these things which really mess up relationships. What Peter's saying is there's this new caliber of love that you have, not that you learn from an education, not that you learn from a book, not that you learn from an example. You, you learn it from God himself through his word. And this, this love is sincere. And then it's, it's earnest. 
Again, not a word that we use a lot, but earnest isn't a name of a person. It's actually this to love each other sincerely and seriously. Like we, we take it as seriously. Um, I just want to use a, a, a brief example. This past week, we have friends, dear friends of ours, Brad and Lindsay Rosman, who have a, a four-year-old son named Luke who was born with CDH. Here's his picture. And uh, his life has been fragile since the day he was born. A CDH is, I, I can't even begin to explain it, so I won't try. But from the beginning of his life, uh, there was just question of whether he would live. And now he's, he's, he's four, and he's had some more complications, and he's been back in the hospital. He had to have surgery where uh, two-thirds of his lung was removed. There was a mass, um, all these things, just problem after problem. And parents that are just watching on that have no control over what happens to his life. And this past week, uh, after the surgery, this past Monday, uh, things began to turn, and his life just was really just going downhill. Uh, he was spiking a fever, blood pressure, all sorts of issues, as you can imagine. So we began just like we need, we need to pray. And we had just pastors from different churches reaching out to pray and to spread the word, like to the groups of these churches, like let's pray together. And uh, this is actually the nephew of Pablo and Sammy Rangel, who's dear to us here at Ridgeview. They're actually there right now in Houston. That's where he is. The reason I bring this up is this was shared to staff and to group leaders of our church, and then group leaders shared it with their groups. And then the, 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 just the span of a few days, you see this seed of love spread rooted in prayer where we just ask God with the power that he has with the understanding that he has, with the vision that he has, with the knowledge he has, with who he is. Will he help? Will he heal? Will he bring peace? Will he bring comfort? And just to begin to see just this love spread of just the saints praying together, some of who've never met Luke and may never meet him. This is what the church does. We are bound together by Christ to pray when we don't know what else to do, to serve, to love each other. And I was just amazed just seeing all the people and all of the concern and all the love. The only reason that is is because of Jesus, because he binds us together in this new family. We care for each other. We love each other, even people that we're not connected to in our own family. So you see the far greater reaches of the spiritual family of God that makes a difference. We're made to be connected. We're made to love. We're made to check on each other. We're made to be there. We do that for others. Others do that for us. That's what we see in the church. This is just a reminder as I look at his picture, the beauty that we have in the church. You can't find this anywhere else. And the responsibility that we have to love each other, that's what Peter's describing. But as we've talked about, as you know, Peter, uh, he tends to shoot straight. It's not all fluffy. It's not all feeling-based. And as he's told us to love each other in this new family that we have with this sincere, sincere, earnest love, he gives us a warning of some things to watch out for. And I want to touch on those warnings. Chapter 2, 1 Peter. He says, so, since this is true, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy 
and envy and all slander. This is why we need the revealed word of God. Because most of the time, what our culture says is all you need is love. That's all you need. Every time I say that, don't you guys want to, right? Like, that, isn't that what you do? If you're younger, that's the Beatles, if you didn't know. Okay, some of you know. Okay. Um, but that's all that, it's like you just, all you got, it's just we have to love and we have to accept each other. And so it's like, okay, yes, great. Well, well how do I do that? You just, you just love each other and accept each other. Okay, like how? You just, you just love. The scriptures give you actually the steps needed. So how do you do that? You have to put these away. You have to deal with the things that are counter to this kind of love. And that's what Peter describes. So put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, put away is an interesting word. Put away actually means something that is comfortable to you that you're used to. And I began to study this word more and more, and I just had these interactions with my wife when she looks at an old shirt that I have, and she begins to say, like, I don't know if you still need to be wearing that shirt. You know what I'm saying? Like, men, like the comfy shirt. Men, just, you went really silent on me. Like, it was like, but like the, just whatever, like shoes, shirt, like something that we've worn again and again, and it, it just feels comfortable. But there comes a point where like the comfort actually isn't as important as the fact that that shirt just shouldn't be out in public anymore, right? Well, why would we do that? Why would we wear something that we shouldn't be wearing anymore? Well, because we're used to it. It's like always in our drawer. We always look forward to wearing it because we've always worn it and it's comfortable. What Peter is saying is the sincere brotherly love, what's earnest and sincere, isn't comfortable for you and it's not comfortable for me. What's more comfortable is this, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Those things are more natural. They're the ratty shirt that we keep going back to. So what Peter's saying is you have to get rid of that. You have to put it away. Don't keep doing that as your go-to. Why? You've escaped your former ignorance. This isn't who you are anymore. You're meant to be holy. Malice is just evil. Uh, It's really perversion to achieve the wrong goals. We have this in us. We see somebody, and we want them to help us with our goal, and there's times where it might even harm them if it gets us what we want. That's a form of malice. Deceit, just being crafty and cunning, not forthcoming. Hypocrisy, saying one thing, doing another. Envy, just really having a desire to have what somebody else has. This leads us down a path. Social media doesn't help that. You see something, you see someone, what they look like, what they have, And we begin to just think, like, I wish I was them. And why isn't God giving me what he's given them? Very hard to love somebody with a sincere love when you have envy in your heart. And then slander, just words that damage another's reputation. Have you ever been a part of anyone gossiping about somebody else? Have you ever done that yourself? Yeah. Why do we do that? Most of the time, we put others down so we feel better about ourselves. And we put others down so other people think we're better than we are. And so Peter's just saying, you, you can't do this. You have to literally like throw that away. And every day, you're gonna wanna put that shirt back on. But you, you, you can't. Because we're made to love each other and these things kill love. We have a higher calling. We've escaped the ignorance and the passions. of Selfishness and arrogance. And then verse two He goes on, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. This is again talking about the word of God. 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love that picture. So we're, we're made to be connected to this spiritual family. But the only way we do that is we have to long for God's word to give us a different vantage point. Every day, we have to get in God's word. Give me the truth that combats the things that are natural to me. And then if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. This is talking about this experience like we follow God and it's real. And we have an experience. He helps us. Have you ever thought about saying something? And you just sense God say, do not say that. And you kind of even go, it's like, somebody's like, what? I shouldn't say that. You ever had that happen? Have you had the opposite happen? It's like, and you just say it, and people just look at you like, whoa, that came from a dark place. And it's true. What Peter is talking about, tasted that the Lord is good. If you have an experience where maybe you don't say something, that you really want to say because you know it's not right. And maybe you say something that God wants you to say. You taste that he's good. It's better. It's building others up. It's helping somebody else. And that's what Peter's describing. This is a different kind of life where we have a different experience. We can taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this uh, this statement right, right, right here, if, you, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, is actually a statement of faith. Because oftentimes when we say no to our passions, when we say no to doing what we want to do, it's actually an act of faith. Because when we do those things, we want to take care of ourselves. We want to do what's wise to us, what's right in our own eyes. But if you believe that you can taste and see that the Lord is good, you're saying, I trust if I do things your way, God, it will be better than if I do them my own. That's the joy in the journey. It's better, even though it doesn't feel like it. Even if it doesn't appear like it will be, I trust that your word says I need to put these things off, and so I'm not going to chase that, and I trust that your way is better. And then Peter goes on and describes what this family of this love is, is built for. In verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to pay attention to this this phrase. You'll see it on the next slide here. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So at the end of chapter 1, he describes that you're now entered into this family of God built on a sincere, earnest, real love. But now he paints a picture of it's not just this feeling, you're being built into something. Living stones, something that is unbreakable, something that you can build on, and the living stones are built on the cornerstone, and the cornerstone is Christ. Again, you see this theme. We are now rooted and built together because of Christ, and we're being built up as a spiritual house. And because it's this spiritual house, it's this place, as Peter describes at the end, a place where we have this priesthood. If you decide to follow Christ, and this is one of the things that is a struggle for many who have a Catholic background, is you don't need to go to a priest anymore. You go directly to the Father, and you confess your sin to him. Because Christ has torn that wall. We don't need a priest to go on our behalf. We have full access to the Father. 
because of Jesus. And that's why we can be this holy priesthood. This is that higher calling. We're all priests in this spiritual house, meaning we have direct access to the Father. He hears us. He sees us. He knows us. Now, sometimes when you hear the word priest, you're like, whoa, does that mean I have to like wear a certain thing and do a certain, like, no, it just means you have access to the Father. You're chosen because you're a follower of Jesus. You can offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this spiritual house is a place where the people of God dwell. And when I say it's a place, it's a place rooted, again, living stones and the living stones are the people. That's why church is never a building. Church is always a people because it's rooted in what First Peter 2 says, the living stones for which Christ is the cornerstone. So anytime we're together in Jesus' name as a people, we're the living stones that represent the house of God. That's actually very significant. It's not like you get into the Jesse Turner parking lot and as you enter, there's something you know, special that happens. No, it's actually the gathering of the people. This could happen anywhere. But the gathering of the people has to happen as this spiritual house. What I want to describe is, is in any house, there's a certain atmosphere. There's a certain method of family of how you relate. Now, there's some things that go on behind the walls of your family which you don't want anyone to know. Amen? Like, it's just like, well, like, that's private. Like, you know, sometimes we're, we're ourselves when we're with our family. Sometimes ourselves isn't great because chapter two, like we have these things we have to keep putting off. But in the house of God, there should actually be this distinctive. When the people of God come together, we should treat each other and act in a different way. And what I want to do is I want to highlight some of the ways that we as Ridgeview commit to being these living stones, this spiritual house in a specific way, and that they're called the heart attitudes. As some of you have, have heard this and you've even done a book study on this, but I want to describe how this is how we relate and team together as these people who have a higher calling, not because of what we've done, but because of who we are in Christ. This is how we want the atmosphere of our spiritual home to be as we gather together in his name. Here here they are. Uh, First four here uh, relate to how we treat each other. If we have a higher calling and we're supposed to love each other sincerely, this is how we do it practically. It's much more than a feeling. It's an attitude of our heart. The heart is our, our system for which we, we move forward. It's the attitude, the actions. It's like the cockpit of our life. And then the attitude is like our approach. So we're moving in a direction, and here's our approach. Uh, first, we, we put the goals and interests of others above our own. That's actually love. We see the needs and goals of people, and we decide that we do not demand that they meet our needs. We will actually lay our needs down to meet theirs. If you do this already, you will be different. You'll be different. Number two, live an honest, open life before others. And you'll see scriptures there. And on your listening guide, you can read the scripture that that's connected to. And there are other scriptures throughout the New Testament. Uh, the idea is we, we actually are real with each other. We don't play games. It's not just transparent where everyone knows everything that's going on, but We're not trying to fake it. Who we are on the inside matches who we are on the outside. Very important in the church. Number three, we give and receive scriptural correction. If we're out of bounds and there's a pattern of my life, my attitude, my words, I need people in love 
to tell me the truth. You know, you're off track, Alex. You're, you, you have a pattern of doing this, and it's really harming you in your ministry and your relationships. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. We all need people like that. And then number four, to clear up relationships. If things get messed up, we clean them up. If we've offended somebody, we've said something or done something that was wrong, we confess that to God, we receive his forgiveness, and then we confess it to the person that we, we sinned against, and we ask for forgiveness. Part of what we do at the Lord's Supper, and we do it outside of a Sunday morning, is we actually take the time to examine ourselves from the filter of these hard attitudes. Are we doing this? Is there anyone that, that we've sinned against? But we want to make that right. These four really describe our personal relationships. This is what we want people to feel. Like, I was welcome and loved, but, you know, there are actually people who cared for me. And there were people that, that actually shared what was going on in their life, and it, and it wasn't fake. These people were genuine. They were real. We want this to define us. And then the last three talk about our relationship to the church. We want people to participate. It's a spiritual house. It's living stones. Living means you have breath. You have uniqueness. You have life that God's given you. You have to use that to participate in the church. Again and again, the gifts that you're given are to build up who? Others. Always. Happens in the church. So we have to participate. We can't just consume. Number six, support the work financially. It's a living stone. It's a house that we're building. As you know, a house costs what? Money. It always does. And what you give your money to, that's where your heart is. And so as a church, we, we want to support this work so it can continue forward. And then number seven, we want to follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. Why? Because it's so easy for us to get off track. Leaders actually help us. They, they're leading forward. We can follow them. Now, the first four, relationships with each other. The last three, how we operate and relate as a church. These seven, for me personally, have made such a difference in my life. I don't think I would actually be here or a pastor without these hard attitudes. And I'll just give you a brief reason why. I grew up in the church, and I went to all sorts of churches when I was young, denominations and in the United States, in other countries, and I've had many experiences. And one of the common experiences that I had in church growing up was sometimes the church was the most dysfunctional place I'd experienced. Sometimes it felt like those holiday gatherings with extended family where you just kind of knew who to stay away from and knew what to talk about, what not to talk about. And it always seemed like there was conflict going on. So my experience with this living stone and the spiritual house was you just learned how to play the game. And so I didn't have a very sincere love for people. I didn't have a very sincere faith in my life. I learned how to fake it. So here at Ridgeview, our commitment to this is not based on our own perfection, but it's based on the fact that we actually need to do practical things. And it's, such more, it's so much more than, than a feeling. And so we're committed to this. The reason we actually have membership, a part of Ridgeview, and we, we, we draw a line of commitment. Like if you want to become a member and commit to our church, you do so formally. And really the basis of the commitment is to commit to the hard attitudes. What you're saying is, I actually want to be a living stone, a part of this spiritual house that is doing the work here that God's given us. That takes commitment. So we formalize that. That's our way of a church. Like, let's do this together. Let's not intend to do it. Let's say we're going to do it in Jesus' name. 
So this is what, what Peter is, is describing. We're built for something different. We have a higher calling. And then I want to just end with the last section, verses 9 and 10. See the picture that we're made for. And he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Read verse 10. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think this is just a beautiful picture. We all want to belong. We all want a place to fit. And what God's saying is my house is open. You decide to follow Christ, and you yourself are a living stone connected to the house of God. You have a place to belong. It's a place where you can receive mercy. And then you're part of a people who have a distinct purpose. You are the people of God. We have a nobility that's not of this world. It's we are actually of the greatest royalty ever, the kingdom of God. And it's a higher calling. And it's this distinct purpose. And so I just want to invite you, if, if you've not yet decided to be a part of the people of God, and your life feels kind of dead, it's because it is. Because Christ has not made you into the living stone yet of this spiritual house. And so today you can decide to follow him. You can admit your sin. You can confess it. You can say, God, you, you know me. You know all I've done. You know who I am. I don't want to run from you anymore. And you, you could pray uh, something like this. If you put it on the screen there for me. It says, dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For any who've prayed that, if you've not yet decided to follow, and you confess that, and you make that your confession, like he is the living God. He has forgiven me. He has saved me. At the moment that you pray this and surrender your life to him, you're now a part of the people of God. You're now a living stone for a spiritual house where the purposes of God happen. There's actually no greater experience that you can have in your life to follow God and be connected to the people of God. This is what we're made for. Why? Because we were people that were alone and we were people that didn't have mercy. And because of him, we're now God's people and we've received mercy. So if you've decided, like, I was in my ignorance. I was chasing my passions. And today you've decided, you know, I want to follow God. I don't want to be on my own anymore without this mercy, with dead in my sin. If you decided to follow him, let us know. On your connection card, there's a slide, I think. On your, the digital one, if you scan that, there's a place where it says, you know, I've decided today to accept Jesus and to follow him as my Lord. If that's you, let us know. We'll follow up with you. Like I did last week, write on your connection card. You can also write physically, write just new Christian on there. You're just declaring it. I was somebody who hadn't received mercy, and I was somebody who was by myself, but now I want to be a part of the people of God receiving the mercy that, that he gives. Let us know. It's the greatest decision that you can make. And as a church, we have a responsibility. As soon as you decide to follow Jesus, you're now connected to us as the people of God. And now we're on the joy and the journey together. We have responsibility to help you, to love you. 
In closing, I just want to invite the band up. There's a phrase here that Peter uh, states that I don't want to gloss over. And it says this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that so fascinating? He states before that the distinct purpose you have. You're, you're a holy nation. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for what? His own possession. You belong to God. For what reason? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of what? Darkness. Connect that to the former ignorance. Connect that to the passion. He's called you out of that and into his marvelous light. And so I want to just close with a couple questions. And if you're a follower of Christ and you come to the Lord's Supper tonight, we're going to begin the Lord's Supper by doing this verse and answering this question. Have you seen God come through for you? How have you seen God come through for our church? So as we experience being this living stone, a part of the people of God, what Peter is saying is like, this isn't something that we're just supposed to keep to ourselves. We are supposed to praise God for what he's done. We're supposed to recognize the work he's doing in my life, the growth that I've experienced, the growth that I've seen in others. We're supposed to praise that and focus on that and lift it up, like praise the excellencies of him because we're experiencing being in the light and there's no better place. So as a church, we, we do this, like literally, we want to praise his excellencies. And so we're going to do that at the Lord's Supper tonight, take some time on the front end, just how can we praise God together as a church to celebrate those things. And so I hope you'll, you'll join us for that. As I close out, there's some next steps that I encourage you to take. You can let us know on your connection card what next step you're taking. We'll pray for you as you take that. Uh, first, just ask God for help in an area where holiness is lacking. We're called to be holy because God is. But is there an area in your life, like as we talked about those things, as Peter says, you need to put these things off. Is there an area in your life where you actually need to maybe get rid of that ragged shirt of the old life and put on the new life of Christ? Uh, Pick a hard attitude to memorize and put into practice on your listening guide. Uh, Those hard attitudes are there. It helps to memorize because God's like, this is the way we're supposed to be, not as rules to follow, but these relationships that we have an opportunity to live. And then, Last, invite somebody to Ridgeview. Uh, If people have not received mercy, and if people are in darkness, and if people are alone because they're not the people of God, then what duty do we have to invite those people to be a part, to share what God's done? It's very serious what we've been given. There's an opportunity we have to share it. So just think through these, pray these, take, take a next step today. I encourage you uh, to do that. If I've not met you, I'll be back by the next step table. I'd love to pray for you. If you have a prayer request, let me know, help you in any way. If I've not met you, I'd love to meet you as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the declaration of our identity in you, that as we follow you, we can come out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We can be your people and we can receive mercy. God, there is no greater gift than to be known by you. And I pray for anyone who's struggling with their identity, with just feeling that they're alone. I pray for those who've decided today to follow you for the first time. God, I ask that you'll just give them the courage to share the decision they've made. They can go public with their faith. And Lord, that you'll continue to draw people to our church so that we can be living stones together to build a spiritual house where we can lift up your name above all names. 
And the name that we want to lift up is the precious Son of yours, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.